Welcome to the BC Buckets Podcast, the official podcast for your 5-0 Briarcliff University basketball team. This is Matt Gall, joined here, as always, by head coach of the Briarcliff University basketball team, Mark Sfigera. And uh, Mark, you guys, like I said, 5-0, you can't do much better than that after your first five games. No, I've run the math, actually, Matt. It's impossible to be anything or anything better than 5-0 after five games. But, uh, no, good to be back this week, and, you know, this is an exciting week. For the BC Buckets podcast, not only do we open GPAC play later this week, this is also the first time the BC Buckets podcast is going international with our guest today. So we'll we'll bring him him in in just a little bit here. He's out on the soccer field practicing right now, but uh, he'll be here shortly. So I'm excited to get rolling. All right, so let's talk about how you got to 5-0. and You had two games over the weekend, kind of a similar format from the weekend before. A couple games, uh, it, two days in a row, up in Aberdeen at uh, Presentation College. And so let's start with Friday night. Uh, you guys took care of Dakota State, 92-80, to a game that, you know, like we talked about last week, had some pretty balanced scoring. Jackson Lamb had 25, Friedel had 16, Roteman had 14, Clyde Hessling had 11. Uh, so just another good all-around game. Yeah, it was, and it was, I think, to date at halftime of that game, it was the best defensive half we'd played all year. And, you know, not perfect, but I thought we were really active and aggressive and, and really frustrated them to start the game and built a lead. And I honestly, I felt like we let them hang around because we had some turnover issues in the first half of that game. And, you know, you limit a couple of those that led to easy points and, and score on our end. All of a sudden, that 13-point lead is probably closer to 20. But at the end of the day, we had the double-digit lead at halftime. And then the second half, it just could never really put them away. And, and you have to give credit to Dakota State because, you know, they kept coming at us and they made some adjustments to what we were doing. But, uh, you know, there were some times I thought we could maybe extend that lead a little bit. And they, they did get it down to six at one point. And, uh, you know, guys just made some big plays. You know, we've talked about that a couple times already in, in games that got close you have to come up with a tough rebound or force a turnover or make a big shot at, at times. And that's what we did. I think after they cut it to six, we went on an 8-0 run to, to kind of extend it back and, you know, feel comfortable about it. But always good to start the weekend off with a, with a win. And we talked to the guys about when we do these weekend things, we're going to play two and we're going to win two. Mm-hmm. And so you can't get the second if you don't get the first one. And I thought guys took care of business what we needed to do was it a, a perfect performance no you know there's some things that I wish we would have been better at but guys did a really good job and, and you mentioned the balance scoring and that's that's just something long term when we can have that more often than not that's going to be really good for us and you know getting Austin Ropeman going especially early in that game I thought was huge for our offense and and Jaden Klein Hesslink had a really really good weekend for us across the board and I know we're going to talk about our second game here in a minute but just having those guys going, and then we're getting nice production from the bench too, and and that's a added bonus. You know that I talked about last week. We, we're throwing a lot of new guys in, whether they're freshmen, whether they're you know there's a transfer in the mix there, and a couple of guys who hadn't really played before this year. And those guys are doing a great job. When you can sub and not have a drop off in production, execution, intensity, that's a that's a really good sign moving forward, in my opinion. So then let's move forward 24 hours later, a little more than that. Uh, you guys played presentation, a team that's struggled a little bit this year. 
Uh, but you know, you did what you should do to a team that you should take care of. And, and, uh, I think they were up three to two at one time, but you overcame that deficit and, and never looked back. Uh, final score of that game was 112 to 71. Again, a balanced game. Uh, Lamb and Friedel got theirs with 20 and 19, but like you said, uh, newcomers doing their part. Thomas Hensley had a nice game with 14. Uh, and like, you know, one of the prior games, you had an opportunity to get a, get a lot of guys in and let some guys see minutes. And, and I, I can't, you know, I'll let you talk about it, but that's got to be extremely valuable, especially as you start to get into the conference season to have some depth and have some experience behind some of those guys who might not see playing time in every game, but at least, you know, they'll be ready to go when they're called upon. Yeah, that's right, Matt. And, and the game started – you know, a lot of the same way the Dakota State game did the night before. We, we built a little bit of a lead early in the game, and, and they made a little push back, and then we made a run in the half. We were up 19 at halftime, I believe, and the main point at halftime was just, hey, guys, we were here last night, and we never really came out and extended the lead. You know, we didn't counter their counters to what they had at halftime, and, and so we need to do that tonight. Mm-hmm. And I think in the first – two and a half three minutes it went from 19 to 34 and at that point you know you could just feel the game was probably over and that that's a credit to our guys for just being locked in it was there wasn't a huge atmosphere at that game it was a pretty sparse crowd we had a nice Briarcliff contingent but pretty sparse crowd overall and so I thought our our guys on the bench did a really good job of just being energetic and making noise you know given that kind of atmosphere and I think the really fun thing to see is when the roles are reversed and the starters and the guys who play the bulk of the minutes get subbed out in a blowout like that, they're doing the same thing for the guys who don't generally play. And those guys went in. You mentioned Thomas Hensley. He had 14 points, and, and he, he played a great game. He played, I think he's played the last 12 minutes with no sub. But uh, he, he did a really good job, hit a couple shots. I think he had two and ones. And Thomas is, man, 5'9", one, maybe he's 150. I don't know. He's not a big dude. But he's a, he's a tough kid, and, and he goes in there and he mixes it up. But to see, see the other guys on the bench getting excited and, and cheering for those guys, it's, I think that's a sign of a, of a close-knit team. And so you, you mentioned do what we needed to do, and, and I think that's right. You know, in presentations, a team, you know, they won their conference last year. They actually had a coaching change in the offseason, and I think they had some player turnover. So they're, they're probably going to be in a rebuild mode this year. But uh, – Anytime you can go on the road and win on somebody else's home court, that's a good thing. And and going two and zero for the weekend obviously was great. Makes that four four hour plus bus drive home last night a lot better after you win a couple. So good weekend and and now we're quick turnaround uh, to Tuesday. So let's talk about that. Tuesday, you make a road trip up to Waldorf up in Forest City, Iowa, a town that's familiar to the program, hometown of the uh, Erdman brothers, who obviously are, are well-known and, and who we've talked about on this podcast. So Tuesday night, you're up at Waldorf, last non-conference game, uh, for a while anyway, before you start uh, getting into the conference. Um, Waldorf is a team, you know, I think we've played fairly regularly the last several years. Uh, what do you know about this year's team? Yeah, Waldorf's a team. We've we've played them quite a few times over the last handful of years, and you know we we played over there a couple of years ago, and and that was cool. I know for for Eric Erdman to play in his hometown, and and Ethan was a a student coach for us on that team. So for those guys to get back home, I thought that was a cool deal, and and now Eric will get to do it again as as a coach now. But uh, Waldorf Waldorf's one and four on the year. 
they played a couple GPAC teams. They they lost to Mount Marty and Dort. They beat Doan. Um, so you know teams we know have played them. To be honest, it's it's a really quick turnaround. So I know our assistants are all over that scouting report. Probably have it done. I haven't dug too deep into it yet. You know I know they're they're definitely bigger than us. Uh, they they play a seven three center. Uh, they have a couple guards who can really score it, and and they're, they'll present some problems. They're a pretty athletic team, and it's it's a it's a hard place to play at times. It's you know it's an interesting setup. Um, the gym can get really loud when there's a crowd in there, and I think we've only played there twice in my time at Briarcliff, and we won there two years ago, and it was way back my first year at Briarcliff. We actually lost there, you know. So we need to we need to change the one and one to the good here. You know, and one of one of the one of the fun things about playing at Waldorf in Forest City, little known fact for the listeners, Frank Erdman, Eric Erdman's dad, and I know he's a big podcast fan. He actually makes the post game meal for our guys. Eric's parents, Frank and Missy Erdman, take care of us, no doubt. And and Frank's a smoker. I don't know what he has on tap for us this week, but I'm sure it's going to be really, really good. So I'm going to give a preemptive shout-out to the Erdman family for, for hooking us up with a post-game meal on Tuesday. All right. So then, you know, obviously every year there's kind of a season within a season as you turn towards conference play. And, and one of the goals, one of the you know many goals that you have each year is to uh, compete for a conference title. And that journey starts on Saturday the 16th down at – uh, Concordia. So Concordia is one of those programs where it really doesn't matter how they're doing in a given year. Uh, they just always seem to, to play hard and give us a lot of problems uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, they've had some, some big comeback wins over us that I can think of in the last 10, 15 years. Just really frustrating, weird wins. Concordia is just one of those teams that, that always seems to be there. So, uh, you know, going into the conference schedule, Talk about Concordia and, and what kind of mindset change, if any, is there going from non-conference to conference? Well, I think when you when you make that switch from the non-conference to the conference, and we'll have played six non-conference games going into that, and then we're going to play six straight conference games, I think the biggest change is just the intensity is amped up. The, the scouting's a little bit more in-depth. The familiarity that that the teams and and the programs have with each other is just a lot more intimate you know we just we're going to know concordia a lot better than we know presentation because we play them twice a year every year uh we recruit against them whatever and you know so it the execution has to be better the attention to detail has to be better you have to sustain positive runs for longer and obviously try to limit the negative runs to shorter that said, Concordia is off to a great start. They're four and zero. They have some really nice wins already. Uh, they're playing really well, and, and they're a team. And they bring back, I think, almost their entire roster from a year ago. You know, and they didn't they didn't have a great year, but they beat us down at their place in the second half of the year. And and they're it's going to be a tough. And you know this, Matt, and I, I know our listeners know this. When you go on the road in the G Pack, it's always tough. Yeah, you, you know, you're very rarely are you going to go on the road and blow somebody out in their own gym. You know, so they're going to be good. They run their stuff really well on the offensive side. They have multiple guys who can shoot it. They they have a big presence in the middle, and so we're gonna we're gonna need to go down there and be ready. And and we're actually most of the teams in the league play Wednesday this week. We're we're off Wednesday, 
but most of the teams played, so they'll have had a, a GPAC game under their belt already by the time we play them Saturday. But it's Concordia's a good program. There's a lot of history there, and you know they'll have our full attention. And, and I'm guessing it's going to be a GPAC game with high intensity that's probably going to come down to it. All right, so again, this week's uh, action will be up at Waldorf on Tuesday the 12th and down in uh, Seward, Nebraska, to visit Concordia on Saturday, the 16th. So with no further ado, uh, I'm excited to bring in our guest for the week. And uh, this is a guy that uh, Coach Figueroa and I have talked about bringing on really since the beginning of the podcast. And I don't know why it didn't happen last year, uh, but it finally has happened. So I'd like to introduce a uh, head women's soccer coach here at Briarcliff University, Paul Cox. Paul, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. So I know you're getting ready for a, a big semifinal match, GPAC semifinal match coming up uh, this week. Uh, why don't you just tell us about what's going on? What night do you guys play? Who do you play? Where do you play? Uh, what are you expecting you know, to, to see in that game? Yeah, um, we play Tuesday uh, at Midland at 1 p.m. So they've moved the game. Honestly, it's smart to move the game from 7 to 1 because we just got done practicing today and it was like, 24 and I think that's the scheduled temperature for the game on, on Tuesday as well so uh, we play Midland they're the number one seed um, they won the regular season they only lost one game in the regular season and that was to us on the first game of the season so it's it's gonna be two months since that game so uh, you know a lot's changed we had a really strong start to the season and we kind of I wouldn't say peaked or plateaued or what we did just very we went through a really rough week so um, it's good to get into the semi-final again uh, we found out this week it's the first time Women's soccer's done back-to-back semifinals, okay. um, so which is pretty good, I guess. Um, so we are uh, getting ready for that game, and you know, uh, we watched uh, our men's team play in the semifinal yesterday, and they played against the number one seed, and you could just kind of see the number one seed where they were just they were already in the national tournament. I wouldn't say they took their foot off the gas, but you know, we kind of I guess hope that Midland do the same thing, but that doesn't that's not going to change our preparation at all. We're still going to prepare like they they want to play. All right, so we're going to get into your history, your background, and, you know, like I already said, this is the first international version of the, of the BC Buckets podcast, and if you hadn't figured it out by now, Coach Cox is, uh, is not from the United States originally, and we're going to talk about that, but, you know, for those who don't know, you're a Midland alum. Yep. You worked as an assistant women's coach at Midland before coming to Briarcliff, yep. and so you're going back to your alma mater against your former boss, and, and I've, I've done that myself in the past. What's that like? Interesting, for sure. I was actually just on the phone to him before I came in here, and he actually said to me, he goes, you know my team better than I know my team. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I spent, I, I moved to the U.S., what am I now, 29? So 11 years ago. <laughs> I had to think about that, do the math. Um, so I, I spent a good uh, 10 years in Fremont and that's why I didn't come on last year because my wife was still working at Midland so I was commuting from Fremont to here every day for 15 months um, so then yeah for most Sundays I was I was at home and so I couldn't come in but it's definitely going to be I feel like the weirdness of playing Midland has worn off a little bit now because the first time last year was it was obviously big there was a lot of like attention on it um, and then there was a little bit of attention on it again when we played the regular season, but now it's the third one. We've won one, they've won one, and it's just kind of, it's just any other game now as well. So, but uh, I think the players understand the importance of the game, and, and I feel like they've, I don't know, it's always weird going back to play your old team. I don't know what you, what you thought about it, but they kind of, 
I'm glad for a young team they understood like how much it meant to well me me as a coach but honestly like they're they're one of the best teams in the country and, and you know being able to beat them earlier this season was great and um so yeah they understand the importance so coach why don't we just back up a little bit and uh can you tell us just a little bit about you and how uh how you ended up at midland and ultimately how you ended up here at the cliff yes i always tell if i ever go through a drive-through drive-throughs are the worst by the way <laughs> if you go through a drive-through and you uh you order how many times i've ordered a, a dr pepper and they've thought i've said coke which i never understand because dr pepper's two words and coke's one Right, so I don't know how that comes about. But anyway, whenever they, whenever you get to the window and they always say, they give you your food and then they say, where are you from? And, you say, and I tell them England. And they're like, what are you doing here? And I just tell them I'm on the run and just drive off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my favorite one when people say, what are you doing here? Um, but, you know, Sioux City would be, if you were on the run in the UK, Sioux City would be a good place to hide. Not the, not the first place you'd think of looking. Exactly. Yeah. Just sit in the hard rock and you'd be all right. Um, so, yeah, how I came over here. At 16, uh, my high school coach told me that his son uh, went on a soccer scholarship. He was in somewhere in Florida. And then he, he said to me that, um, that I can sh should consider doing it. And I kind of looked into it, thought it was a pipe dream, and then just kind of continued with school, put it to the back of my mind, and never really thought of it. And then... Um, when when the decision came to pick a college, like go to university, I was like, right, I either need to go stay here in the UK, I either need to find a job, or let's figure out this America thing. Also, to kind of backtrack a little bit. It's 16, it's changed now, but it's 16 in the UK. When I was 16, you could leave school at 16 and, oh. and start work. And I almost did a plumbing apprenticeship. I almost was going to come a plumber. Decided against it, continued to get with school. Um, and then I looked more into the opportunities to come out of it, but any kind of like, I don't know if you use like recruiting websites, like we use College Fit Finder for soccer and then NCSA. Use a couple and there's, there's, there's tons of international ones. Um, but signed up for one in the UK and they just basically built the recruiting profile. And then a lot of my offers came from Midwest NAI school. So Missouri Valley, Missouri Baptist, Ottawa. I actually got one from Union University in Tennessee. Mm. So I got an email from the coach and he said, call him. So I called him and it went to the switchboard, just the university switchboard. And then there was the voicemail of a Southern accent. And I, I didn't even leave a message. I put the phone down. <laughs> that was it. Because <laughs> yeah. my, my only thought was, I was like, that sounds like Forrest Gump. I was like, <laughs> I can't do that. I'm not going there. <laughs> so that, that was that. And then basically then the Midland coach he, he contacted me and we, we shared a few emails and then it just kind of went from there and I was just like, right, that's where I want to go. And then, so I was there, for, played there for four years. Um, my four years playing were really weird. Two years, we, my freshman year, we didn't make the postseason tournament. Second year, we won the postseason tournament. Third year, we didn't make it. But that was with the Dana merger when Dana closed. All we right. took some of their players and that affected some things. But then my senior year, we made the, the championship game. So it was very, very weird. Then I went home for a year, came back as a GA at Midland for two years. Um, and then I went into advising for three years. That's where I met my wife. And then ended up here last January. Okay. So there's a long-winded answer for you. Yeah. But hopefully some funny tales for you. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That's, you know, definitely some funny tales in there for sure. And that's that's something that, I've gotten to know here over the last however long you've been here, two years almost now. But, um, you know, talk a little bit, Coach, about this year's team. And I know you mentioned a little bit you guys had a really good start in conference and then took a couple losses. And seems like you guys have really 
rebounded and, and put yourself in a position to, to make something happen here the last week or so? Yep. Um, I think it's, I was talking to my wife about it this morning about kind of where we're at right now. And when I took over, so I got here January last year. And when I got here, we had nine players, mm. um, of which maybe six of them were healthy to play. And having such a short amount of time to recruit was tough. But we were able to bring in 23, no, 22 players in, in the space of seven months. So last year we were really young, um, but we ended up having the best conference season ever for the program last year. And then um, going into this recruiting cycle, we needed to bring in freshmen and juniors because if we didn't bring any JUCO transfers, we'd have had one junior. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, we brought in another class of uh, 18. And so it was like, not, we brought in nine juniors, nine freshmen. So we had a roster of 40. So in the space of like 18 months, we went from nine to 40 players. Wow, yeah. And then there was a lot of, opt and I think I'm a little bit impatient as a coach. It's probably like well, that's something that I need to work on. But my, I want almost like instant success. Um, so we started, so then going into this year, we started off at Mount Mercy. Um, we went one nil down. 1-2-1 one, one. again that game we could have won by a margin but we didn't then we played Bellevue uh, we lost 1-0 again we felt like we could have won that game and then we went to California so our, our Ross has built heavily on the west coast mm -hmm. so we played two games out there we played Providence Christian um, 1-4-0 and then we played Vanguard and this is where I wouldn't say the players called me out but I, I'd been preaching to them how good we were and then when we played Vanguard, who were number 11, I went in of the mindset to defend the game in a phrase in soccer of like park the bus. I don't know if it's a similar thing in basketball, but you just go, all right, we're just going to defend. Yeah. And then we're going to hit you on the counter-attack. So we did that and we lost 3-1. Yeah. We had a meeting when we came back and they were like, if we're so good, why do we have to sit in? Why can't we just go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them? And I was like, you're absolutely right. So we decided for the first two conference games, we'd go against Midland and Hastings, who were both ranked that we'd just go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them and go for it. And we, we did it against Midland 1-1-0, and then we did it against Hastings and 1-1-0 again. So we're 2-0 in conference, and at this point we're 5-2. and two. Um, We should have gone into the top 25. We were 5-2. and two. We had a loss against Bellevue and a loss against number 11 in the country. We'd just beaten number 8 and number 13, and we should have gone into the top 25, but we went receiving. We were the highest receiving votes team. I think, I think we were shafted in the ratings, and I think there is, there is a collection, I think, of... People that have been like raters, I think that in the conference, they kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say they look out for like teams that have been in there a long time, they get almost preferential treatment. And there's some that I see in there right now because they've been successful in the past mm -hmm. and won a national championship in the last like five years. Compared to their season now, they're not a top 25 team, but they're in the top 25. And that doesn't make sense to me because it's the 2019 national rankings. It's not the look what we've done the last five years national rankings it's the 2019 so I felt like we were and I people said to me like got to use that as motivation and I totally agree but with a young team I felt they felt a little bit disrespected and we kind of put our tail between our legs a little bit and then we end up losing the next game and then in the next poll we were out and then we bounced back with three wins so then we were sitting six and one going into Concordia and we were one nil up with 10 minutes left we had a chance to make it two nil didn't we concede a free kick they score from the free kick, 1-1, one, one. then we can then we concede in overtime, we lose. There's still an option for us to win the league, but then we go on, then we play the Cota Wesleyan, who hadn't 
won a conference game at the time, I don't think. We were 3-0 up and lost 4-3. Mm. And then we lost in overtime again on the Saturday. So we had a week where we lost three in a row. And it was it was really telling on us a little bit. And then, but then we, when we won on Saturday in the post, in the quarterfinal, now we're sitting, in, we were just looking at the little milestones we've done this year. So one, we've had the most wins in 15 years as a programme. Beat ranked opponents for the first time ever. Do you do MRPI in basketball? Is that just a soccer thing? Oh, that's a soccer so we have our highest MRPI ranking ever this year. Um, and then well, there was another one. And then the back-to-back semi-finals. There's little milestones all the time. but And I've, I've got it written on my board. The next two milestones we want to get, can we make the final for the first time ever? And then can we win it for the first time ever? So, yeah, the season's been a little bit up and down. But if you, if you were to tell me all of this when I took the job last year, I'd have snapped your hand off. But if you told me this a month ago, I'd be like, hmm. It's disappointing, but it's not. It's, it's, it's very weird. And I know just in the times you and I have talked and, and before the season started, you felt like you could be a, a top three or four team in the league. Maybe didn't know anything beyond that, but thought you could be and thought maybe still a year away from competing at where you're at. And, and so I think that's a great sign of, of things to come. And I know you have going to have a lot coming back, not to look ahead to next year, but going to have a lot coming back. And I, I think that's exciting. I think it speaks to what you're doing with the program. Yeah, I mean, from the, get, the team that we started against Dort in the quarterfinal, we lose zero players. They were all freshmen, sophomore, juniors. And then we had a couple of seniors come off the bench, and we've had two seniors that have consistently started for us this fall. But I think we proved getting into the semifinal that we are one of the top four teams in the league. We've proven that we are one of the best teams in the league. And it's funny because after we beat Hastings, we were 2-0. and the Tom, the coach at Morningside, said to me, he was like, now you need to get them up for the games where for the 9s, 10s and 11s in the conference. That's the tricky bit now because everyone can get them up for the big games. It's like, how, how can you just... Because that was a problem in that week where we did it. We just thought we could show up and, and we'll just win. And that's what we did against Dakota Wesley. We were 3-0 up, took our foot off the gas, they scored four. I'll never know what happened that day. But but it happened on Saturday. Uh, sorry, when did we play? Thursday. We went 3-0 up in the in the quarterfinal and then we just took our foot off the gas and Dort scored two quick fire goals and then all of a sudden we're on the back foot. But yeah, hopefully... Um, we can do something this year, but definitely moving forward, we bring a lot back. So here's a question, admittedly coming from somebody who's who's pretty ignorant about soccer. Uh, I went to a real small high school, and we didn't have soccer. I don't know a ton about the sport, other than I know that's kind of the first uh, the first sport you get signed up for when you're a little kid in in the U.S. before you get older and a lot of people seem to go a lot of different directions but I know with the soccer programs here Briarcliff there have been uh, a lot of international students who have come in so with soccer I know like with basketball the American game will kind of take on some things that you start to see in European leagues and just style of play and some other things and vice versa how how does you know what you brought from England, how does that, you know, kind of compare to what you see a lot of when you're out recruiting, you know, yeah. people locally in the Midwest or otherwise? Um, I got asked this question a lot when I first came over. The biggest, I think the biggest difference between American players and European players, I won't go into like the whole of it because it's so different. We have Brazilian players here, we have British players here. But the biggest difference, there's such, a, American players are so athletic. Mm. And it's just like, but the thing is, they might, they might have a t- like a first touch, like a second-hand trampoline, because it was just like it hit their foot, <laughs> and it will just like 
fire away and you'd be like yeah but then people but depending on the coach they go oh, I like him because he's athletic he can run he can do or she he can do this this and this you'd be like, for me you have to be able to do the fundamentals the very basics like can you pass a ball five yards right. and I learned that when I came over as a player because I, as a kid I was fast and then when I came when I came to play here very athletic and the game was a little bit quicker and I was slower some say slower than a week in jail that's <laughs> another one you can take that one um so you have like, and I think that's the one thing that the British players, when they come over, they're a little bit slower on the athletic side of things, but they're quicker upstairs, and they can make the like, in-game decisions and the technical things a lot quicker. Um, not taking away anything from American players that they can't do that, but I think that's maybe the difference a little bit because people in the UK are very much, and this gets brought up in youth sports all the time, but in people in the UK are one-sport athletes, and it's they just play soccer. If they're playing two sports, it's soccer and cricket. I <laughs> don't even want to get you started on cricket. But they're, they're separate seasons. So once you de- get done with the soccer season, or the football season as we call it, they'll go straight into the cricket season over the summer and then back in. It's just They just switch like that. So um, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So let's piggyback off that a little bit. And this is, had nothing to do with soccer. But so you've been here for 12 years now in the States, 11 years in the States. Give me – top couple things that were like the biggest shocks to you when you came over and give me the top two or three things that after being here for 11 years you're like yeah this is awesome here the, f- the first one this still haunts me a little bit and it's, it's nothing it's, it's not even bad but it's one of those things that like st- stuck stuck with me my freshman year I'm in a class and it was just a, a general like first year seminar class English class whatever and I remember it was a test and I get the test back and it's got the grade at the top and then like the guy's done like lines like this, which look like check check marks, right? Mm. Which where I come from, the check mark means it's correct. Like you got oh. it right. Whereas right, so he's right. doing all these check marks and I'm like this. And so like, you think you're killing it. I think yeah, like and there's a lot of them as well. <laughs> there's a lot of these red check marks. I'm like, it says up there I've got like a, a 42 out of 100, <laughs> but I've, I've killed this test. And I've put my hand up and I said, oh, listen, there's something wrong here, it doesn't add up. And he's, uh, he goes, no, they're the ones you got wrong. And then I just like, I saw everyone like look around at me and like, were like laughing and then I just went bright red. I was just like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, just trying to think of others. I tell you what I thought was the greatest thing when I moved over it. And like you're going to think this is, you might think it's funny, but I thought that honey barbecue bonus wings from Applebee's <laughs> were the greatest things in sliced bread. I loved them. I loved them. And now I, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I had them, but when I came over, I was like, they are the you, pinnacle. You're not going to get an argument for me that they're not good. I mean, yeah. I don't know that they're the first thing I think of when I want to go get something to eat, but uh, no. I think there's nothing wrong with that. No shame. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll tell you the other one. Same class, the exact same class. Oh, and it, so we have some words, and it's the same thing, but we say them differently, like schedule and schedule. Right. Um, tomato, tomato. But this one. Hold on. Do you really say tomato? Yeah. Oh. I was just thought that was something people said, tomato, tomato. But I didn't, I've never actually heard anybody say it the the other way. I thought it was just purely for that song. It absolutely kills me when I go to Jimmy John's and order a number 16, no tomato. And they say, what? And I say tomato the second time. And then they'll say, what? And I say, no tomato. And it kills me. <laughs> um, there's another one with that too. Oh, the other one. 
this is completely off topic, but with pronunciations, if I ever ask for a water, a water, right? If you if I go to if I go to a restaurant and say, Can I have a water? The look on people's face when they try and process what I've just said to them, there's another one, process, process, right? When they try and process what I've said, it it goes brain, mouth, back to the brain, back to the mouth, and they say it back to me how I said it to them. So I go, Can I get a water? And they went, they go, Water. Yeah. <laughs> But go, going back to that class, so we, we're reading from the book, and uh, I'm reading it, and da, 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 and they say the word aluminum, and I'm just like, I've never heard that word in my life, and I'm going, but it sounds like aluminium. I was like, in the context of the sentence, I was like, it sounds like aluminium, and I had, again, same class, put my hand up, and I was like, what is this word? Again, everyone's laughing, and they're like aluminum. I was like, yeah, "What is that?" And, they, and then they were like, "Like the foil that you like put on sandwiches, whatever." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, aluminium." And then it was just like, <laughs> everyone was just like, "What is going on?" So yeah. So it's aluminium. Aluminium. Back home. Yep. Okay. So, coach, we always do some rapid fire questions uh, with with our guests, and kind of just ask some questions to get to know you a little bit better and get your thoughts on some things. So kind of along the same lines of some of the things we've talked about, I read something that Prince Harry and, and Meghan Merkel, Markle, Markle, Markle yeah. uh, they, I think, are planning on spending some time in the States, splitting their time between U.S. and, and England, which is, I think kind of breaks tradition and, and is an interesting thing. But, you know, I, I assume they're doing some research on where they might want to end up. So give us your sales pitch or give, give them a sales pitch that they should consider moving to Sioux City, <sighs> Iowa. Oh, well, that's a great question. I would say we've got the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, which now has a uh, sports book. Right. I don't know if Prince Harry's into his betting, um, but he looks like it. He looks like a maverick. Um, we've got the Hard Rock Bodega 401, chicken lollipops are to die for. Yeah, we'd love them. Um, got the Shire Palace where we've been. I like that. Mm -hmm. Food options are fantastic. Um, we've got a soccer team here. You like soccer? Yeah. Um, Fleet Farm. Oh, yeah. Fleet Farm's brilliant. I'm a big, big advocate of Fleet Farm. We love Fleet Farm. You can get anything in Fleet Farm. It's right down the bottom of the hill from my apartment. It's got everything. Everything you would need. Trail mix. I say what, they don't have everything. They don't sell bread. That's oh, one thing really? that Fleet Farm could add. But like huh. it's just down the road from us, and we just go in there and like if I ever want if you want some beer, you can go in there. If you just need some chips and salsa, it's there. If you need a, a two by four, it's there. <laughs> right. <laughs> need a wheelbarrow, whatever you need, it's there. <laughs> Fleet Farm, Fleet Farm and Hard Rock. <laughs> I've never seen a Fleet Farm before I moved to Sioux City. So So Shahi Palace, you mentioned that. Is that the only place in town you can go to catch a cricket match? I believe so. Yeah. It has to be. It's always on. Yeah, and fun fact about that, this is going to take a tiny bit of explaining, but we have a, a game in the athletic department at Briar Cliff called the Eliminator. It's a, kind of a stupid yet fun way to pick a place to go to lunch on a random Friday, something that Nick Nelson and I, I guess, invented, for lack of a better term, six, seven years ago. And when you, when you play it a couple times, you put it in the restaurant you want and then slowly get eliminated by all the people playing. Well, one time myself and Coach Cox here and, and Lewis Wilcox, who is our former men's soccer coach and a college teammate and friend of Coach Cox's, we, had, we put together a pretty big conspiracy 
to make sure that Shahi Indian Palace won because most people, if you've never had it, you're not just going to go try it on a whim. And, and we made it happen, and I remember cricket was playing there, and they were trying to explain to me what was going on in the scoring, and I, I was not keeping up. So yeah, that's, that's my one. seven to 430. Yeah, that, that's the one time I've sat and watched cricket for any more than 10 seconds at a time, and, and I still don't know exactly what's going on. While we're on the topic, real quick, Shahi Palace is a place we haven't talked about really at all, I don't think, but it's, it's one of my favorite places in Sioux City, even though I don't get there that often. Yeah, you know, for for the two of us, Matt, we both live on the north side. It's yeah. it's an investment to get down there. But uh, they have great lunch specials. It's the only Indian place in town that I know of. And it, it's good food, mm-hmm. good lunch specials. My wife and I are both big Indian fans. And, you know, now having some people at Briar Cliff that I know are big Indian fans gives me another excuse to go there. So, Coach, I remember uh, seeing on Twitter uh, in the last couple of years or since you've been at Briarcliff, I know you guys uh, made a, a detour on one of your road trips to go visit Mount Rushmore. Uh, so as, as an Englishman, I presume you had some mixed emotions seeing the, the faces of freedom uh, in front of you. It was, is, are those traitorous as to you or just what, what goes through your, your heart, I guess, your English heart when you look up and see those faces of those brave men? who had the courage to look across the ocean and say no more? Well, <laughs> this might make you laugh, I don't know, but as you can Im- imagine, uh, we pretty much did our history lessons in the UK pretty much from like 1900 onwards. So anything before that, I'm unaware of. <laughs> Therefore, when I saw the big heads at Mount Rushmore, it just reminded me of my childhood. Watch it. You watch Richie Rich? Yeah. And then his family have all the heads. Yeah. That's what I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> and they, uh, yeah, but it was cool. It was smaller than I thought. But, uh, yeah, there was a few people there. It, to be fair, it was me and Lewis's idea to stop, but we did get a lot of banner from the, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here, here's one. This is way off, out of left field maybe. But uh, last week we had Joe Privetier on the podcast head wrestling coach and we talked about what would happen if he and I wrestled each other one-on-one and or played basketball against each other one-on-one this is something you and I have actually talked about so let's break this down if you and I play a one-on-one basketball game to five baskets what do you think the score is and vice versa if we have a soccer shootout against each other where you're going to be in the goal and I'm going to take five shots and then we flip what's that score going to look like okay just start with basketball first and I've seen your jump shots. I'm going to call you out if I think you're off here. I would, I would go for a unique approach in the one-on-one basketball. I think you'd win five to two. Because um, I'd maybe get three at a push. But what I would do is I'd go for... I'd try and... I'd, get, I'd do a soccer throw in against the backboard <laughs> and then go and like get it and I'd just keep doing that. Until it like you're going, what's he doing? What's he doing? And I'll try and wear you down and try and do a layup. That's my only way in. I don't, I can't time a jump to block you or anything like that. You'd, you'd absolutely smash me. But I'd try that little unique tactic. That's an interesting approach. I think five to one would be generous. But uh, you know, maybe maybe it would work, and I would just not get rebound after rebound after rebound. I don't know. But uh, you know, I'm actually more interested to see your take on the soccer part of this. I mean, if we get five each on the soccer, there's no guarantee we're going to score all five. 
but I would. <laughs> 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 well, because the thing is, like, I, so we're actually practicing penalty shootouts right now because we're in the playoffs. It may go to a shootout. So I don't know. I've seen Kevin pot a bomb. He's terrible. He's shocking. Um, I think I'd... I, saving a penalty is hard. I, I reckon you'd score three. But I think I'd score five. I think five-three. I'll take that. Yeah. And I, I think you're being generous, but I, I will take that. I'm going to score three penalty goals on you in the goal. All right, I'm going to call you out real quick. True or false, you've never beat me in Frisbee golf. True... Yeah, true. I, th- I beat Ship though once. You did because he hit the tree. He <laughs> lost his he lost his uh, disc in the tree. But yeah, I've never beat you. And we're in the off season now. Yeah, that's right. We're but we're both out of our game now. We need to wait till May gets nice again, and we're both out of season. So last week we talked to Coach Priv about music that gets him fired up. What's what's the last thing you listen to on your iPod or your phone or whatever? <laughs> this might surprise you. Like I'm, ah. Oh. I don't know if I want to share this. I love listening to like a soft ballad, mm. like a power ballad, like a Celine Dion. That'll get me yeah. going. Like that will. Westlife, good Irish band. Like that, but like pump up music doesn't do it for me. Like before I play, I'd like to just like, I'd stick a power, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'd stick a power ballad on it and just visualize the game. As weird as that sounds, but that's, that's how I do it. I love it. Like you get all these rap songs, I'm like, oh, give it a rest. I love, <laughs> a, I love a power ballad. Love it. Yeah, but you didn't see that coming. Well, I actually did because I knew that already. But I, I think by the look on Matt's face, he was not expecting that at all. Also, you're a huge Michael Bublé fan, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, massive, massive Michael Bublé fan. Can I, can I say something? People say Michael Bublé is just for Christmas because his Christmas album comes out every December. He's not. He's all year round. He's got great other albums other than Christmas. Don't disrespect the man like that. So, Coach Figuera, I've got one thing for you, and I've been waiting. I've been doing this for two months, and there's people on campus that are in on this as well. But I like this. One thing I like to do is I try and like to, not steal, but like borrow ideas from other coaches. And one thing that you do that I really like is on the board there, you have where your freshmen can sign in. And like above the door, you have pens. Have the pens gone missing this year? You know, as soon as you pointed to that, I knew where this was going. We've gone through more pens on that thing, and I've been blaming our freshmen for, for months now. We, in a little context for the listeners, our freshmen have to come to the basketball office every day during the week and sign their name on a sheet of paper and, and just pop their head in and say what's up to, to Coach Forbes or myself or Coach Erdman, whoever's in here. And, and we do that. It's, it's just a good way to – to talk to the guys outside of basketball. It helps us build relationships with the players, um, especially that the first part of the freshman year. And we always keep a couple up above in case nobody's here and they don't have a pen on them. And so this is making a lot of sense now. So uh, at some point I'm expecting the women's soccer program to, to come over with a, a bulk of pens for us to return those. <laughs> and, and Coach Cox just pulled them out of his pocket. So he's got, we need to count these on the table here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine pens been stolen from men's basketball by women's soccer and and you know what they say about revenge that that's i'm just gonna leave it at that pc uh, 
Yeah, so this started about two two months ago. <laughs> I just started taking them, and there's some people in on it. I only told I told Forbes on Wednesday after the athletic meeting, and he was like, "No way! I've been blaming the, he's been blaming the freshman all year." <laughs> the funny thing is, it's just like it's one short because I used one for the Midland game in the regular season, and when we. The last minute was really tense, and I had one of the pens in my hand, and I was just squeezing my fist that I broke it. And if you go, if you go back and watch the video at, the, at full time on the BC website, I throw something on the ground. That's one of your pens. <laughs> <laughs> that that might be one of the best surprises we've had on the BC Buckets podcast to date. Yeah, that's you know I I I was like kind of mad at our freshmen. Like you know we've been doing this sign-in sheet for. This is my ninth year at Briar Cliff, and I, I think it was done before that, too. We've never gone through pens like this. It's unbelievable. Well, Coach, we, we appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate you coming in. Uh, it was great to have you on. And, again, uh, you guys play in a GPAC semifinal match uh, against Midland at 1 o'clock on Tuesday. Is that right? Yep. Uh, one o'clock on Tuesday. So uh, we wish you luck. You know, uh, obviously go down and and uh, take care of business, and uh, hopefully we can have you on at some point in the uh, in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been great. All right. All right, Coach. So one of our uh, one of our most popular segments on the podcast that's new this year is uh, you sharing your life wisdom in the form of Coach Figueroa's life rules. What do you have this week? All right. This one, just a pet peeve, maybe. But I think most of the time I do a pretty good job going out of my way to hold doors open for people. And I think my statute of limitations on how long I'll wait for somebody is longer than most. And so the life rule is if somebody holds a door for you at any point, you say thank you. Because it irritates me when people don't do that. I don't do it for the thank you. I just think it's the thing to do in that situation. What are your thoughts is it necessary if you're holding the door for someone is it necessary that they do that fake little jog thing where they're not really jogging but they're making it look like they're going faster i would actually prefer that they just stay at the pace they're at and the same walking motion they're at don't patronize me by faking that you're hustling because i'm holding the door for you all right so there you have it another uh, life rule by coach figuera and that leads us to uh, another new segment we're doing this year which is champs or chumps so, Coach, for champs or chumps, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by saying I went up to the Wisconsin-St. Mary's basketball game up in Sioux Falls uh, last week. Great game, overtime game. Yeah, uh, I caught the end of that. I think I saw the last four minutes in, in overtime. We'd had practice. and um, Yeah, two big-time programs and looked like an awesome game, yeah. an awesome atmosphere. Defensive slug match kind of like. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like watching Briarcliff play, let's be real. No, absolutely not. Although the guard, the little guard for uh, St. Mary's, I can't remember his name, number three, though, he's got some shake. He was fun to watch. Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah. But anyway, so after the game, on the announcement, they said, uh, be careful because the roads are starting to get slick. They had some freezing drizzle up in Sioux Falls. It's on the way out of town, over, especially over bridges. Uh, you, we saw people fishtailing. We saw some accidents. It, it was pretty nasty. So I thought for champs or chumps this week, let's talk about uh, driver <clears throat> safety in general. So I think I'm going to give you just a few, uh, a few layups here, but I think it's important we talk about these things. So uh, first one, you drive by someone, they're staring at their cell phone instead of the oh, road that, in front of them. That's a chump. Just drive. Okay, here's another one. Not really driver safety, but it's, it's uh, car-related. So uh, people who put those like cheesy visor things in their windshields during the day to keep the sun from warming up the car. Man. Do people still do that? People still do it. Some do. I feel like that went out in like 1997, but 
I mean, I'm going to say chump. Does it really do that much, or does it trap more heat in? That's a good question. You know, what I have seen are, are people that that put, like, the reverse on the outside to keep frost and ice or snow off their windshield. Oh. I've seen those in my neighborhood. Sure. And also the people that, that flip up their their windshield wipers when it's going to snow or ice or something. I, I'm going chump with all that. You know, in the in the day and age of remote start cars, just start it from inside. It's going to be warmed up and all, all melted off by the time you get out there anyway. That's kind of an elitist way to answer that. Just start with your automatic start. I can't do that. I don't have that. Okay, well, and may, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm overestimating how many people have remote starts on their cars. You know, because, like, I mean, I'm just saying – you know, my wife and I don't drive extravagant cars by any stretch. We don't. We have a single star garage, but we don't use it. It's really small. So we park outside, and I mean, the amount of times we actually have to scrape, we just start our cars. So may, maybe it's elitist. Maybe I'm a little <laughs> ignorant to it. I don't know. But uh, I think the 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 root of this is I'm probably overestimating how many <laughs> people have remote starts. There you go. Uh, so the last one again, another layout. But I think it's something we should uh, we should talk about just as a quick public service announcement. You know, winter's kind of here. We're going to be facing snow and ice. Like I said, I already kind of have this year. So champ or chump, somebody who slows it down several miles an hour, keeps their distance between them and the next car, and does things uh, the right and safe way. Champ or chump? I'm going to say champ with an exception to the rule. Okay. Because I think the biggest issue with winter driving is the overly cautious people mm. that they they completely change the way they drive when we get a 16th of an inch of snow like we did last week and you know you you go slower you turn slower you brake excessively for no reason and i think that makes it more dangerous for everybody else you know me i just kind of drive the way i always drive and knock on wood it's been a long time since i've been in an accident so there you go, Coach. Uh, we do have some listener questions we need to get to, so let's uh, let's start with that. Hey, first things first here. Yeah. Keep these questions coming. We were on a good little run here of getting listener questions, so you know, feel free to shoot them email. You can text Matt or myself. You can you can tweet us whatever. Keep them coming. This is the this is the best part of the podcast. Absolutely. Yep. And on Twitter, you can find us at BC Buckets Cast. Again, that's at BC Buckets Cast on Twitter, or through email at BC Buckets Podcast at Gmail dot com. Uh, we'll start. We've got a couple follow up questions to uh, prior questions, so we're going to start. The first one's from Ben O'Neill, and he asks is uh, a follow up to the. Uh, student coach jump shot segment that we had early on in the uh, season here uh he said you know you mentioned austin bush but you left out spencer fahey uh, he'd like to get your thoughts on that was that just an oversight or was there some intention there well yeah i actually saw that on twitter because i think ben tagged me and 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 ben was actually a student coach in a in a non-traditional way he helped us out with a lot of things i don't i don't think he was ever a, a day-to-day at practice student coach but um that was back my first year or two in the program i think but uh it was a complete oversight on my part and, and as i was thinking about student coaches to answer that question i thought about bushy because he asked it and his jump shot was trash so i just kind of <laughs> moved on to the next tier of of student coaches and i completely spencer could shoot it you know he's definitely if if the student coach shootout happens at the alumni game next year he's going to be one of the favorites for sure he could really shoot it so yeah to answer ben's question that was an oversight and I, i'm glad he brought it up so we could right or wrong 
There you have it. And and on top of that, you know, Bush and 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 Spencer Fay, they had the infamous forgot the scout team jerseys at a national tournament game that they still blame me for, um, even though they left them at the hotel. You know, and I don't know if that's just still some memories I'm repressing there or what, but uh, no, that was just an oversight on my part. Next question comes from Brian Conway. So his question is, what would be your all-time GPAC defensive team? That's a good question, and I know this is going to be shocking to a lot of people. I think I'd probably lean towards the offensive when I, when I put forth that team. But, uh, you know, I think there's one carryover on there. And, again, it's my own bias coming through. But Jay Wolf was the best defensive player I've ever coached or been around. And, you know, I've been around college basketball since 2002. And, and he's, he's the best defensive player in terms of being able to guard one-on-one, -on -one, instincts, team defenders. So he's definitely on there at one of the guard spots. Uh, this, this could come off as a biased one, too. But I have to go with another one of my teammates and good friends, Mark Esser. He's still the all-time blocked shot leader in the GPAC. Averaged about four a game when we were seniors at Dana, you know, and he's a guy that could just really protect the pain and, and clean up a lot of mistakes by guards when they got beat. So having a shot blocker in the middle is going to be a big deal. And as a disclaimer, I'm going to eliminate all current players from contention just like I did last week. I think at the four spot, I'm going to go with a guy that played Dakota Weslin a few years back named Luke Bamberg. He was, a, he was just a tough, tough dude, could really rebound it, could guard multiple positions. So he's at the four. Uh, one of the other guard spots, I'm going to go with a guy named Jeremiah Slough. He, I, I coached Jeremiah at Hastings. I think he was a defensive player of the year as a senior. He was a really tough player, not unbelievably athletic or anything like that, just tough and, and had the mentality that I'm not going to let you score on me. And we need one more guard. This is a great question making me really think back through the last dozen years or so and my last spot we're going to go big on this all defensive team I'm going to go with Kyle Lindbergh who played at Doherty probably graduated five six years ago he's actually their assistant coach at Dort now but he was a six seven lefty that could guard every position on the floor I think he might be the only player in league history who won the player of the year and defensive player of the year award in the same year that's really impressive, but that's a that's going to be a team that's hard to score on. You know, Maya's going to bother the ball handler at the one. You're going to have Jay at the two, and then at the wing forward spot, you have Kyle Lindbergh and Luke Bamberg. That's some long, athletic dudes, and then Esser's going to clean up everything in the middle. So that's that's a hard team to score on. Now, if I'm putting that team against the all-time team, I'm still taking the other one because I think offense is going to, over the course of time, wear down a defensive team. But uh, that's a great question. So speaking of Mark Esser, uh, he actually asks our, our last listener question. He's got two, uh, but one kind of ties into the other. So his first question is, uh, Coach, who is the best player right now in the NBA when healthy? I don't know that I have a definitive answer for that, to be honest. I think the caveat is when healthy because right now, you know, KD is definitely one of the – he's in the conversation, but he's, he's out all year with the Achilles – I think Kawhi's in that conversation. I think LeBron's absolutely still in that conversation and, and playing at a high level to start the year. Um, and I think Giannis is in that conversation too. And I, I don't think you can go wrong. You know, if you're going to put a gun to my head, I'll go recency bias. And Kawhi was just absolutely unbelievable in the playoffs and the finals last year. 
and, and had a great start to this year already, so I'll go with Kawhi Leonard. Okay, so taking Kawhi, uh, since he's the answer to that question, the follow-up is if you had Kawhi Leonard on your Dana JV team, how would that team do in the NAIA? I think they'd win games. I mean, you're talking about the best player in the world. Um, if you have some guys around him who can at least make open shots, you're going to win games. I, I don't know how, what kind of record you're looking at, but that's a great question. That's like the most Mark Esser question <laughs> of all time. And, you know, if you don't know him, it's not funny, but to me it is. All right, so there you go. Uh, thanks again for getting those in. And, and again, if you have some questions that you want to get coaches' take on, uh, make sure you get those sent in either on Twitter or to our Gmail account. And that is bcbucketspodcast at gmail.com. So before we wrap things up, uh, as we always do, uh, we've got some shout outs to throw out. And, and Coach, I know uh, you said you had a couple. Yeah, I have, I have two shout outs this week. First one just goes to our soccer programs I know I've I've given them shout outs this year but they're both having great seasons we talked to coach Cox uh, with the women's team and they play in the semifinals when this comes out they'll be getting ready to play on Tuesday and then coach Christensen in his first year with the men's program they won yesterday to advance to the finals which I think is the first time in school history and so they're going to play they play later this week to to win the conference tournament and with a win there would qualify for the national tournament so those guys are doing a great job and it's it's awesome to see the success that both programs are having this year and then second shout out is to one of our alums jared babbitt who's a big podcast fan he actually sent me a text before we went to aberdeen which is the hometown of his wife also a Briarcliff alum and gave me the heads up on a local pizza place called that's a pizza and so we got that Friday night after our game, and it, it was legit. So uh, Babbitt, good work, good talk. All right. So, uh, again, just a quick reminder, Briarcliff will be in action on Tuesday the 12th. Uh, that will be uh, the day that we release this podcast up in Forest City at Waldorf and then Saturday the 16th down at Concordia. So uh, on behalf of Coach Swigera, on behalf of Coach Cox, uh, my name is Matt. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate all the support. We'll catch you next week.